great to be with you. Um, if you were like me, were you eating Thanksgiving food still yesterday, anybody still? Yeah, I was, yeah. Uh, I'm ready for something different for lunch today. So yes, I think we are. Pastor Jerry has a well-deserved day off today. He's with his family, so I'm with you to give you the sermon today. We're excited. Uh, Jason said at the start, uh, he asked who likes cold weather, who's kind of looking forward to that. I am not. I do not like the cold weather at all. However, I'm looking very forward to Advent and Christmas. I love the Christmas season. And yes, we have our decorations up. We did that most of the day yesterday. Um, so really looking forward to being uh, in Advent and Christmas season with you. We let you know that Thanksgiving obviously was very early this year. So this is not the first Sunday in Advent. Oftentimes it is, but the first Sunday in Advent is next Sunday, December 3rd. So look forward to Advent and Christmas with you. So we're still in the Gospel of Luke today, Luke 18, uh, verses 15 through 30. Let's listen to God's word. People were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they sternly ordered them not to do it. But Jesus called for them and said, let the little children come to me and do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. He replied, I have kept all these since my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, There is still one thing lacking. Sell all that you own and distribute the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became sad, for he was very rich. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? He replied, What is impossible for mortals is possible for God. Then Peter said, look, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I tell you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not get back very much more in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and so let us pray. Most loving God, please be with us in these moments together, in this word, in the Gospel of Luke. God, because of your word, draw us closer to you. God, as we do this this morning, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So in Jesus' time, the time of the New Testament, people who were wealthy were seen as being blessed by God. And Jewish people who followed the law were doing what was right. 
they were doing what they were supposed to do. So this story is fascinating, I think, because this younger man, this ruler, sometimes called the rich young ruler, is both wealthy and following God's commandments. Yet when Jesus asked him to do one more thing, he walks away sad and apparently is not saved. This man had started by asking Jesus, good teacher, what must I do? That's an important word. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And apparently he can't because he won't give all his possessions away and leaves Jesus. So what does this story have to do in context back then and for us today? And I think one of the pressing questions that, that I think about when I read this passage and probably that you think about when you read this passage. So are we all supposed to give all away that we have and give the money to the poor and distribute it to others? I'll answer that with a question for now. Maybe a better question is, what do you need to give up? What do I need to give up to follow Jesus more fully? And how can Jesus help us to get there? How can Jesus help us to get there? Well, first in the story, the rich young ruler addresses Jesus as good teacher. And Jesus responds by saying, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. So Jewish people reserved the word good for God. But the man was not addressing Jesus as God. He was addressing him as more as a teacher and a prophet. And so Jesus says, why do you call me good? I think, and commentators here that I read this week say that Jesus is hinting really and saying that he is God and that because he is God, he is good. But no one else, he said, who else is good? You know, who is good? Only God alone is good. Everyone else, including this man, is not fully good. We are all fallen in some way. We all make mistakes. So the man says, what shall I do? Again, there's that word do. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, to inherit something, you don't really do anything. You are a child or, or, or belong to someone else who left you something. It is a gift. You receive inheritance. You accept inheritance. Inheritance is a gift. But this man wants to do something. But for our faith as Christians, what we learn from Jesus, not only in this short passage, but elsewhere in the Gospels, is that faith is not do, but did. And I think this is important. I put it up on the screen if we can get that up there. Faith is simply not do, but did because Jesus did. For us, we cannot do anything to earn God's favor. We can't do anything to earn, earn our inheritance. It's something, it's a gift for us. But Jesus has done it all. Jesus did it all on the cross. So let's take a sidebar just for a moment from Luke and talk about that faith issue. Jerry talked a little bit last week's passage, also in Luke 18, about salvation. I'd like to talk a minute for that, about that more. Jesus and the New Testament talks about that it is not just about keeping the law, but instead receiving grace through faith. And here's one of my favorite passages. It's a passage that every time we do an inquirer's class, which leads to new members, last week we received new members, we talk about this passage because I think it kind of sums up the gospel in three short verses in a way. 
For it is by grace, there's that word grace, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, that's only our belief. This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. There's that word gift again. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So again, so the man's asking, what must I do to, uh, to inherit eternal life? We cannot do enough of anything to earn our salvation. And again, Jerry talked about this last week. He said, I think those very words, we can't do anything to earn our salvation. It is through grace, but it is by our faith then we, we receive that grace. But as a response to our faith, once we realize how much God loves us, what Jesus did on the cross, then we love him back because he loved us first. First John 4 says, we know what love is because God loved us first. Therefore, let us love one another. So Jesus goes on though, and he, he kind of challenged the man and he's going somewhere with this when he asked him about the commandments. He says to the man, you know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, there's one. You shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. He lists five of the 10 commandments. You can find those in Exodus 20, you can find those in Deuteronomy as well. If we were to look at Exodus 20, which we're not right now, these aren't in the exact order, I don't think, but these are command, commandments five, six, seven, eight, and nine of the 10 commandments. But Jesus does not include, and I think this is on purpose, the 10th commandment, which is, you shall not covet. So the man says about these five behavioral commandments that he has kept them all. And I think here we can look at though that he has most likely kept the commandments in a legalistic way as he's talking about doing again. And I think he's proud that he's kept the commandments. He's most likely kept them in a religious way, but probably not in a heartfelt way. But Jesus says, and it's not in this passage, but in other places in Luke's gospels and in the gospels, that he is about fulfilling the commandments. He is about fulfilling the commandments and helping others to see them in the new way. He even says at the first of this passage, we need to receive the kingdom of God like a child. The kingdom of God is something different. He's making it something different. It's about loving one another. God's kingdom, which has arrived in Jesus, is about love and forgiveness. It's about grace. Then it's also our responses. It's about caring for the poor, inviting in the outcast. He talks many stories about inviting others to a banquet with them touching the leper, healing, not just keeping the letter of the law. So while the man may have kept the letter of the law in these commandments, he has not yet captured in his heart, I don't believe, what it means to live the way of sacrifice and love that Jesus is teaching. So again, we said Jesus says those five commandments, but he doesn't say the 10th commandment, thou shall not covet or you shall not covet. And so Jesus says next to the rich young ruler, there is still one thing lacking. Sell all that you own and distribute, uh, sell all that you own and distribute the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come 
and follow me. Scripture says what happens next is the man becomes very sad because he was very rich. He will not sell all he has and give it all away, and nor will he come, as far as this story tells us, nor will he come and follow Jesus. So over the last six weeks, I've been a part of something really cool that's been going on in the chapel at this hour, so I haven't been in here as much, maybe at the start of the service, at the end of the service. We're offering a class on the Enneagram in the chapel, and our own Lisa Prince is leading that. I'm kind of coming alongside and helping her with that. We're not meeting today, but we will meet again on December 3rd, 10th, and 17th. If you wanted to join us and skip church in here, no, you can be there and come at 1045. The Enneagram, though, is a way to understand personality and motivations. And this does have something to do with this message today in Luke 18. So the Enneagram, I think, to me, is helpful because it helps me to be more self-aware of who I am, what are my motivations, sometimes good, sometimes bad, why do I do the things I do. And then we can look at the Enneagram if we find out about others, kind of what they align with in a certain personality in the Enneagram. Why do they do the things they do? It helps us understand, I think, especially the people closest to us. Maybe if we're in the working world, why people that we work with do the things that they do. So there's nine numbers on the Enneagram, and and each person, as you kind of figure out as you read about it, or if you take an assessment, you can figure out perhaps what number you are. So it talks a lot about, I think, the Enneagram about being self-aware, but the man in the story was most likely not aware that his wealth was more important to him than following the rules or following Jesus until Jesus asked him to give it up, to give his wealth up. And I think being self-aware through something like the Enneagram, which is just a tool, can help us to know our strengths and weaknesses better. For this man, understanding that he was really, really tied to his wealth, perhaps he did covet his own wealth or being wealthy, he perhaps wasn't aware as much of that weakness in his own life. So a little bit more about the Enneagram. On the Enneagram scale, I found out that I'm a nine. Now, a nine is a is a peacemaker. A peacemaker can be a good thing. A peacemaker typically, and I borrowed these things, this is not all about me, but about being a nine on the Enneagram scale. A peacemaker is easygoing, can be helpful when they listen well to others and hear and support them. Perhaps then they can bring about peace to a situation. But a nine can also make peace too easily. Nines can be people pleasers. I know about that, so hey. They avoid conflict, oftentimes to the maximum. They avoid conflict. And there's a proverb in one of the books I've read about nines that says, I have so much to do that I'm going to bed. I have so much to do that I'm going to bed. Because peacemakers will often avoid conflict or put things off because they're uncomfortable with those things. So yes, I am a nine. But as I'm more aware of being a peacemaker in my own life and fulfilling some of these things about being a nine, um, I realize that sometimes I do avoid conflict in my life. Sometimes I go along to get along. Sometimes I listen to other voices, even though those may be not the things or the ways that I want to behave or the ways that I want to act. And so being aware of that, I can start to try to live into what Jesus wants me to do 
instead of the strongest opinion or the loudest voice to try to go back to in prayer and say, God, what is it though what you want me to do instead of what others want? There's a good book about the Enneagram called The Road Back to You, and it's written also from a Christian perspective, which I really appreciate. And a question for the nines in this book says this. It's kind of two questions, and then I'll relate it to all of us, not just nines. For nines, what is my calling or life's program? And am I postponing it to keep the peace? Am I postponing my life's calling to keep the peace? I think it's a really good question. So for all of us, are you postponing your life's calling for some other reason? Maybe even late in life, are you postponing your life's calling for some other reason? If yes, why are you doing that? And what is it that holds you back from following Jesus more fully? I think these are the kinds of questions that Jesus would want to ask all of us. Perhaps he doesn't want us all to go out and sell all of our possessions and give everything to the poor. But what is it in our lives that we need to be more aware of that holds us back from following Jesus more fully? The rich young man in the story, back to Luke 18, was not fully aware, I don't think, of his dependence on his wealth. And perhaps even he coveted being rich. Others of us are not fully aware of our own weaknesses and what holds us back from following God. Again, does this mean that we need to sell it all and give it all away? I don't think so. But we can find ways uh, that hold us back from God and then address those ways in our life with God's help. A couple other ways to ask this is what are you missing out on life that you wish you weren't? Where do you get stuck in life? And what might hold you back from God in your life? So to go back to the story in Luke 18, there's still a little bit more to touch on. So the disciples wonder, and and Jesus talks about, uh, who can be saved? It must be harder uh, for a rich man to be saved than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And so the disciples wonder, who then can be saved? And Jesus says, what is impossible for people is possible for God, that through faith in God that we can be saved. Again, I don't think we can do anything to earn our way to God, but we can be saved through God. So the rich man leaves. Our friend Stan Johnson, who's our parish associate here at ZPC and does a lot of study on the Gospels, including Luke, he says about this story, what if the rich young man, instead of just leaving in the story, had come back to Jesus and said, I can't do it. Good prophet, good teacher, I can't do it. I can't go and sell everything. It's too hard. Would Jesus have said, well, come follow me anyway, and we'll figure it out together? I think that's perhaps the kind of response that Jesus would give. I believe if you ask Jesus for help, he will help you to get where you need to go or to take steps in that direction where you need to go. Again, because inheriting eternal life or gaining eternal life is not about money or keeping the Ten Commandments. It is about receiving life through faith in Jesus by His grace. This is the new kingdom that Jesus keeps talking about. That word kingdom is even in this passage. The new kingdom is not about having money or following the rules. 
It is living in a Jesus kind of way. And if we go back a few verses, it's living in a childlike way of being wide-eyed, maybe like a child as we look forward to Christmas as they open Christmas presents. Sometimes I think as we get older, we can get a little jaded. We've seen a lot of life. Maybe we've seen some hurt. We've seen how things go wrong. Can we still be open-minded and open to Jesus, accepting him and get excited again, be joyful about our faith in Christ? I think one of the ways we can be more joyful is in, in this time of, uh, of post-Thanksgiving, just three days after Thanksgiving, is practicing gratitude, is simply being more grateful. I think a couple of the ways we might do this is to have a journal or maybe a note or maybe even the notes on your phone and write down things that you are grateful for. Even if you just do it in your mind, take times every day to say something to yourself and to God that you are grateful for, that you are thankful for. When we do that, it starts to change our attitude. I think it helps us to be more open-minded, more childlike in our faith. Near the end of the story, uh, Peter says, as he oftentimes speaks for the disciples, he pretty much says, hey, we gave up everything for you, Jesus. We left our homes and our families. And Jesus says, yes, because of your faith being lived out for the new way of doing things, you will be rewarded in this age on earth and in the age to come in heaven. I would say what that means is for those of you who really follow, for those of us who really follow Jesus, we kind of know what this is like. You know when you sacrifice and you may give up something to do something else which is higher, which is better? When you are generous to Jesus and to others, you get so much more. I think when you all, when you serve in ministries of the church, and I, I know enough of you by face or by name or know you even better than that, when you take time to serve out in the church and ministries here in the church, you get so much more than you give. Serving or going on a short-term mission trip, which a lot of you have been on, either here in the States or maybe overseas, it often costs you money, it means time away from rest or work or family, but you almost always get more than you give. When we give, we often receive back in other ways. One of the things we receive is we get to see God at work in ways that others don't. When you go out and you serve Jesus, you begin to see Jesus in new ways that you wouldn't have if you had stayed at home or been protective. Sometimes we can't see things, we can't see God if we stay where we are and protect what we have. Sometimes we can't see God if we stay where we are and protect what you have. For the rich young ruler, he coveted and guarded and protected his wealth. Most likely it gave him status and it was a big part of his, of his identity, but it kept him from following Jesus. A real life story of a man who did not hold back and who did not uh, hold back from protecting his wealth was a, a very simple man. I just read this just in the last two days. A little simple man, a simple man named Jeffrey Holt. This was in a daily devotional by a man named Jim Dennison. Jeffrey Holt was the caretaker of a mobile home park in Hinsdale, a town of 4,200 people in the southwest corner of New Hampshire. 
He lived in a mobile home himself, and his mobile home had no TV or computer. While he collected hundreds of model cars and train sets, as well as classical records and books about history, he gave up driving a car and he rode his lawnmower around town. He seemed to have what he wanted. He didn't want much, his best friend said. However, Jeffrey Holt died earlier this year with a secret. Jeffrey Holt was a multimillionaire. He had worked as a production manager at a grain mill and invested his money. And over his life, he earned and saved $3.8 million. And in the end, when he died, he gave it all away, $3.8 million to the town to benefit the community in the areas of education, health, recreation, and culture. A town official said, I know he didn't have a whole lot of family, but nonetheless, to leave it to the town where he lived, it's a tremendous gift. On this week after Thanksgiving, we can focus on grace and gratitude. This man, Jeffrey Holt, lived a simple, gracious life. It said that he was the caretaker of the mobile home park. My guess is he went around and saw what the needs were for the other uh, residents who lived there and cared for their needs. But he saved money, and in the end, unlike the rich young man in the story, he did give it all away. The young man in the story focused on his wealth, and he focused on the law. But instead, may we this week choose grace and gratitude. And I think that's so important. It's up here on the screens. May we this week choose grace and gratitude. What does this look like? First, we choose grace. When we receive grace, we don't earn anything so that no one can boast, it said in Ephesians. And then we give thanks. We can praise God for who he is, and we thank God for what he has done. So again, I would encourage you in your quiet moments this week, maybe as you're driving around town, if you turn off the radio, or if, you, if you're listening to God in your prayer times, start oftentimes with praising God for who God is and then thanking God for what God has done. Show gratitude to God, and oftentimes this will change your mindset from maybe focusing on what's negative or what's not right to what is right that you have received from God. So this week again, may we choose grace, and may we choose gratitude, and may we follow Jesus. Let us pray. Lord, as we uh, come into this place again, this sanctuary is set apart for a place to worship you. May we start each day with gratitude. Lord, again, an easy way to remember this is to praise you for who you are and to thank you for what you have done. Oh Lord, you are a great God. We sang that in the songs that we sung this morning. And you are good and in your love for us. Help us then not to say no to you, but to, or just to follow the rules. choose grace and gratitude, even this week. In Christ's name, amen.